welcome to IOM3 Investigates, the podcast series of the Institute of Materials, Minerals and Mining. We are one of the UK's major science and engineering institutions and our activities are focused on the promotion and development of all aspects of the materials cycle. These include the science, design, engineering and technology of materials, minerals and mining and their practical applications. We facilitate qualifications, professional recognition and development, share knowledge and provide networking services to a global membership and wider community. We hope you enjoy our podcast series. Hello and welcome to the latest IOM3 Investigates podcast in the Women in Materials, Minerals and Mining series. I'm Fiona Robinson, currently Faculty Support Manager for Computing, Engineering and Science at the University of South Wales and Vice Chair of the IOM3 Women in Materials, Minerals and Mining Committee. This IOM3 WIM3 podcast series focuses on speaking with women in various backgrounds and industries from engineering and materials to minerals and mining, to chat about their backgrounds and careers. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Tanas Pack, who is an Associate Professor in Energy and Environmental Engineering at Teesside University. She has achieved Chartered Engineer status and is a professional member of IOM3. Tanas' research is mainly focused on groundwater cleanup, water purification, biochar and pyrolysis nanotechnology, soil remediation, waste management, sustainable materials and non-destructive testing. Tanas has extensive international collaborations, specifically with partners from Brazil and Italy. In 2021, Tanas was selected one of the top 50 women in engineering by the Women in Engineering Society in the UK. Welcome, Tanners, and uh, thank you for agreeing to participate in this WIM3 podcast. So could we start by you telling me a little bit about your background in education and how this led you to studying engineering and geosciences? Thank you very much, Fiona, for having me. It's a pleasure to, uh, to talk to you today. So I studied um, engineering back in Iran. I'm originally from Iran. I enjoyed the materials components of that degree. We studied uh, about materials, properties, characterization of materials, um, but also chemical engineering related and even electrical engineering related subjects. So it was a really nice introduction to engineering. Then I did a master's um, in Paris in a French uh, Petroleum Institute, and that was more focused on the subsurface environments and obviously hydrocarbon production from subsurface for energy supply, conventional way, fossil fuels, oil and gas. Um, I followed that up with a PhD, um, and that was um, in University of Edinburgh Geosciences, School, School of Geosciences. And um, that was mainly also focused on subsurface environments, on um, producing, improving production of oil and gas from um, subsurface environments. And especially, uh, we looked at a very um, complex environment that basically has um, heterogeneities over a range of length scales. So these are carbonate rocks that host most of the remaining oil and gas um, reserves. So um, so you could be looking at really uh, features and um, 
looking at variations of properties of this material um, over a wide range of um, scales from micrometer all the way through to tens of meters. So this makes it quite exciting and, uh, and interesting to study these materials, but also quite challenging mm. to look at characterization yeah. of the material and also modeling what's happening within this material. Um, so it was mainly in initially focused on um, energy supply, the conventional way. Uh, but then I um, developed lots of interest, obviously, um, looking at transferable skills, looking at porous materials in general, and look beyond the conventional oil and gas type of subjects. And, and how did you find studying in Iran, then France, and then Scotland? Was it quite difficult to adapt to the different countries? Really interesting and exciting experience for me. Um, which I think um, the journey makes different people unique in what they've learned and what they've picked up along the way. Um, and I, um, the introduction was, um, I think, really strong because in, back in Iran, obviously, we worked really hard. It's a four-year program, lots of uh, maths, lots of physics, lots of really um, fundamentals. And that gets established quite well yeah. um, during those four years. And then um, maybe a little bit less applied, but then as I moved on to um, basically doing higher level education, especially in the PhD, because we were working in a group and we mm. had sponsors, industrial sponsors, I especially worked with the Brazilian oil company Petrobras. And um, I managed to attend uh, many different networking events and field trips and engagements with industry. And that helped me quite a lot in, in developing my understanding of the uh, topic um, in a wider sense rather than just the, uh, the PhD topic. So that was quite exciting, but different experiencing different different cultures and different ways of life in different countries um, is is amazing. I've I've enjoyed it, but also that it's it's challenging as well. But you pick up things that you need along the way. So um, yeah. I'm really happy that I went through that journey. Yes. It takes a lot of courage to move to a different country, especially if you have it to does. speak another language as well. No, it does. And it's it's very fruitful because as you come out of it, you feel like, OK, I've learned something that I wouldn't have if I hadn't gone through this um, basically course or, uh, or, or uh, what I did in this new country, being getting exposed to new culture. But um, along the way, as you go through it, it's sometimes very confusing and um, very challenging to find your way. So, but it, I think it basically enriches as as people, the personalities and their appreciation of what's um, going, what's important in life. Yeah. In addition to obviously developing as a professional person. After your PhD, did you move to the University of Teesside immediately? Yes. And so now yeah. you're. Now you are the Associate Professor in Energy and Environmental Engineering. So uh, yeah. could you describe a little bit about what your day-to-day -day role involves and your research? Sure. I'll tell you a bit about uh, what I did post-PhD yeah. and then I talked to you about my day-to-day yeah. um, my, my -day life today. Um, so I, after my PhD, I uh, started a role, a lectureship role um, within the engineering department at Teesside University. And um, I was involved in the oil and gas program and chemical engineering program and wider within the engineering um, department. I was 
contributing to delivery of courses, but also I was starting to develop myself as an independent researcher, which isn't um, isn't really easy no. um, to do. I remember when I on, on the day of my Viva, when I when we finished the Viva and we were on the way to actually have lunch together with the mm. external examiner and my supervisor. Um, the external examiner in the taxi told me the challenge begins now. Mm. And I thought to myself, no, it was already quite challenging <laughs> for me and it can't be uh, more difficult than this. Obviously, you go through all of the difficult periods of doing uh, the research and then writing it off and correction and all of that. And that's really challenging sometimes uh, to, to get everything to work and produce that piece of work that you can actually defend. So at that point, I thought it can't be more challenging than this. <laughs> but he was he was absolutely right because yeah. it, it all started from then. And I had to become independent quite quickly because I didn't go through a postdoctoral research experience. Mm-hmm. I took up this lectureship immediately. And uh, for the first few years, I was developing myself. I was sort of living the life of uh, a postdoc. Yeah. but also doing the job of a lecturer as well. And that was quite difficult mm-hmm. and challenging, but it was a really rewarding experience because I see Teesside also gave me the chance and opportunity and the time mm-hmm. that I required to do that, um, acknowledging that I've just come from a PhD. So that, that was um, quite interesting in the first few years. Um, and um, then I basically looked at, uh, obviously I was promoted uh, to um, senior lecturer a few years afterwards, after I, I, I did a degree in um, in postgraduate learning and teaching. Mm-hmm. And I learned how to become a better educator yeah. overall. Um, and then I started looking at different engineering institutions within the UK, because I thought if I need to, if I want to improve my skills beyond what I already know and have networks within industry, I need to do, uh, I need to focus on this, um, on this professional development a little bit, bit better and more organized. So I looked at a number of different engineering institutions, including the ICAMI, for instance, and the Energy Institute, and also the IOM3 at that point. So I attended a few of those events that they have open to everyone. And eventually I decided because of um, the component of materials that I have in my research, the IOM3 is um, looking like the one that I need to go for. So I applied to become the chartered, uh, to, to get the chartered engineer status and I was successful in 2017. Mm. So um, I thought at that point, that was a really good decision I made to actually go for it and um, to, to really engage with the institution. And on, in addition to IM3 now, um, I look out as well to other institutions as well. I have really made this a habit to look out and see what is out there um, for professional development in general. Then in 2021, um, another major um, highlight in, that happened to me was that I, I was awarded um, an award um, from the Women's Engineering Society in the UK. That's the top 50 women in engineering award. And that was um, really important for me because I, I thought I had gone through a transition away from oil and gas industry into the environment and um, other technologies to support the environment um, as we supply energy. And uh, at that point, to be recognized after I had done that personal transition 
and that was a really rewarding experience. So um, then last year I was promoted to associate professor at Teesside and it's really helped me now to have a major part of my work focused on research. So it gives me the time um, and the focus on doing better research, having bigger projects, focusing on on developing PhD students and postdocs. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a great achievement, and it gives you the time then to uh, to focus on your research because yes. it's not just the research; it's all the funding applications and publications and things that go with it. It's uh, you know too very time consuming. Yes. So what are your main research projects that you've got running at the moment? Research-wise, um, as I mentioned in the beginning, um, when I started looking at, obviously, geological systems, what I studied mainly was porous uh, materials, uh, but it happened to have uh, application in, in geological environments and, and those specific conditions. Um, then, um, obviously, you develop tools and skills that um, quite often you probably don't know it initially, but they're very much transferable. And if you look beyond your immediate topic, you probably will find lots of other topics that you can basically learn a little bit more about and use your skills to to contribute to. And this is exactly what happened to me. I had learned quite a bit about porous materials, um, and then I started to look beyond obviously the, uh, the geosciences environments for uh, hydrocarbon production systems. I look now at groundwater. So groundwater mm. is a little bit shallower environment, closer to the surface. But if you look at it, um, lots of the physics and really small scale and large scale physics that contribute to basically water flowing through um, basically subsurface layer mm. and for us to be able to pump water out and, and use that water is very similar to what we uh, try and, uh, to do with, with oil and gas production. So it's, multi, it's typically multiple, multiple phase fluid flow mm-hmm. in um, porous media. So um, it becomes very important to me because obviously I've been from um, obviously Iran and in the Middle East, water is very much valuable mm-hmm. and very precious um, and not, not as abundantly available as we have in, mm-hmm. in Europe. So I have always had that um, passion for uh, for water and to contribute to water uh, in one way or another. Mm. So this is something that I started to look at uh, quite a few years ago um, as um, one of my main research uh, basically topics. So I looked at groundwater and groundwater is is a really important um, source of water for, for many countries in, in many parts uh, of the world. In the UK, um, we rely on it about... Um, 30 to 40 percent of the population rely primarily on groundwater as their main source of water. But we have other alternative water sources, so really well organized um, surface water resources. Uh, But in some countries, for instance, in Brazil, there is reliance primarily in some areas only on groundwater. It makes it really, really important. And um, sadly, we've done um, quite a lot um, in actually polluting, contaminating groundwater over the past few uh, decades. So Mm. those are um, the specific sort of uh, subjects that I I look at with respect to groundwater because um, there's quite a lot of work that is still um, needed to basically decontaminate Mm. uh, groundwater and um, 
in addition to that, I also look at water treatment, so surface water mm. treatment, water that's contaminated in rivers, in water reservoirs. And to do all of this, I, I use materials. So two main types of materials. One um, branch is advanced materials, the likes of nanomaterials. Mm. Um, and in specific, uh, we've been looking in our research group at zero valent iron nanoparticles, very reactive nanoparticles that can get into a reaction and degrade and decompose the contamination quite quickly. And it's very effective. And the second group, um, which is mainly relevant to surface water and water treatment, is sustainable material that um, what we look at is uh, biochar. Mm. So this is material that is produced. It's more like a charcoal material. Mm that is produced through um, thermal treatment of biomass. So it's like so a byproduct. Yeah, you can set up a process to specifically produce biochar. But in some processes, if you want to produce, uh, for instance, biofuel, you mm. get some biochar mm. as the solid, the, rem mm. the residual solid phase. But you typically start from whatever biomass you have locally mm. available, mm. could be waste from agriculture or forestry waste, and you put that through a thermal um, decomposition process. So um, you limit the oxygen supply because otherwise you'll be burning. Um, but as you do that, um, you basically produce this porous charcoal-like material that you can uh, basically look at its properties. You can tune its properties to specifically target a specific um, substance, a contamination. It could be a heavy metal. It could be, um, for instance, a, a chemical that you want to remove from water. So that's another main line of work that I, I do. But there must be a lot of interest in decontamination of, of groundwater from lots of different countries who want to, yes. op to optimise its use and obviously yes. make it clean and safe. Yes, that there is definitely. Um, not long ago, the UN had um, um, UN Water Conference. Mm. This was a major conference yeah. um, that I attended only virtually. But uh, this was um, after about 50 years, we had a, a conference of such a scale because of the importance that we now um, can see on developing um, water and water resources around the world and, and also focusing on sanitation and wastewater mm. as mm. well. So this was um, a UN style conference, but may, mainly focused on water. And lots of it is actually captured. So if, if your audience is, um, is interested, they, they can actually go and just search for UN water conference. They'll see lots of the webcasts. But this was an update from many, many countries, hundreds, of, uh, uh, I think uh, it was maybe about 200 con uh, countries had delegates to basically just update the world. This is where we are with respect mm -hmm. to water and um, wastewater in general. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of demand and there's a lot of innovation that can happen. And in particular, if you can provide solutions that can be relevant and meaningful um, to local communities, you don't want to always um, find the best performing star product yeah. um, that you can send off to a, a very um, long distance. So that, that all contributes to more carbon emissions and it's just not sustainable no. approach. No, okay. But if you can find a solution, 
that's mm-hmm. a local solution for yeah. that community. They can use their waste, produce a product. Maybe it's not that star quality. Maybe it's not like activated carbon, but it can actually treat water uh, to acceptable levels. Um, then that that's the perfect solution for your community. And it's the materials characterization and, and tuning of, of properties that basically plays it. Yeah, I think it's definitely about having an appropriate solution so that it's affordable and available and stand it sustainable in the local area. Exactly. And th- there's lots of, obviously, um, interest within the UK and beyond. So there, there are lots of funding, research funding and open calls focused on, on these areas. I've had a bit of luck um, over the years. Um, obviously, as an academic, you have to write quite a lot of proposals um, and some of them are successful. Some of them are just you learn from them, but yeah. uh, unsuccessful at the point, at yeah. that point when you look at them, but you obviously take away quite a lot from the learning and, and maybe have um, the project written in a slightly different way and we submit. But um, it, over the past almost um, a decade now, I've had um, a few projects that are were funded, externally funded by the likes of the Royal Academy of Engineering, and the British Academy, the British Council. A lot of those um, were mainly focused on these two themes of water, treatment, groundwater, and, and use of biochar, because we, we want to have sustainable solutions um, going forward. And biochar not only actually um, helps you remove the contamination, but also it locks the carbon in. Otherwise, um, the alternative uh, pathway for the waste is to burn it, to produce mm-hmm. energy. That That's what is done typically. Uh, but that basically releases lots of carbon. Yeah, you can see, feel your passion for the subject. What's been your biggest obstacle or challenge that you faced in your career so far? And how did you overcome it? Lots of challenges, obviously. Yeah, I, I covered a bit. Main challenge for me has been the fact that as I started my role as an academic, um, and I was obviously, what I had learned in my PhD and in my studies was to look at fossil fuels, improving production of oil and gas from subsurface that was the the major topic that I knew Mm. about I learned about um, the industry I learned about the the processes and systems and scales to that point but then I realized that although for the next probably a few decades we're still going to rely on oil and gas for energy Mm. supply and we're going to gradually probably phase out fossil fuels so it's not it's not like some people really like to switch off and yeah. Um, yeah. do renewables from from uh, no. day one but um, what I realized earlier on when I started as an academic is that it looks like that there's not a lot of need for new research and innovation within oil and gas industry anymore we know quite a lot there's lots of technology yeah. in there But um, as an academic, when you want to write a proposal and and use innovation and and contribute, perhaps there's not a lot of appetite there anymore. Yeah. So um, that's where I I had to have a really good look at what I'd learned uh, throughout my studies and maybe learn a little bit more myself. So this was energy transition that was happening in industry, but it was a transition that I had to go through myself. And, yeah. But that was, I think, quite useful for me yeah. because I, I then realized there are transferable skills yeah. that you can build on 
Yeah. And um, you can find topics that you can actually contribute to and they matter a lot. And um, that that's that was a, a big challenge for me. Is there anything you wish you'd known or done differently earlier in your career? Obviously, when you look at things and reflect on yeah. the journey, there's always things that um, that you, you probably would have done but, differently. Yeah, but but you're happy. You you seem very satisfied with your career choice and the subject of your research. Yeah, well, I, I try to stay positive because yeah. I think overall this is something I try to um, have in my life, personal life as well. That um, if you start to see um, all the negatives and all the the bits that you're not really too sure about or too happy about yeah. all the time then it's 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 you're not going to enjoy no. um, your life and the same i think applies in your professional life i try to be happy about all the opportunities that i have um, been given yeah. really all the help and support i mean right from the start i i worked um, with an amazing group of people mm. when i was doing my my phd amazing supervisory team really supportive people and what i learned from them still i use day to day in terms of work ethics in terms of how to conduct as as a researcher and um, all of those I, I try to look at the positive sides a bit more than negative yes. sides but but in general i think you, you can always improve so I, I would have potentially taken professional development a little bit more serious in that i would have probably had a written down plan for myself mm. i had things in my mind i had yeah. notes here yeah. and there yeah but not as organized as I um, I see today. And this is going back eight, nine years. And it, what we have today, um, basically in, um, engineering institutions are doing, um, it's it's amazing. They give you all the tools required for you to actually plan yeah. for your professional development. There are lots of mentoring programs out there that we didn't have so much of back then. I did have informal mentor, uh, uh, mentoring um, that was just offered out mm. of goodwill by uh, more senior professors in our department. But potentially I would have um, asked for a, a better organized mentoring and yeah. mentorship. Yeah. I would have looked at reflection points every year for myself. Um, you get some of that in your uh, PDR uh, mm. as, a, as a professional, uh, but perhaps um, if if I want to do things differently, I would focus on finding where my skill gaps are and and maybe try to go back to them. Because sometimes you feel like that you've grown in one direction yeah. really well, but maybe you've been shy in, in other areas. What are your future career plans and professional ambitions? Um, so this is a really good um, <laughs> question and it was a reflective question yeah. for me to think about. Um, I think at this point, I've done some projects, as I mentioned, on these different uh, topics that are really close to my heart. Uh, but I think the next step would be for me to have perhaps larger scale projects where I can actually close the loop in actually seeing the impact on people's lives. And this is now actually becoming quite valuable. It's uh, being rewarded if your research produces actual impact. Mm. Um, it's um, sometimes it's not just about how much funding you've acquired is the actual impact yeah. the research has 
yeah. that's basically made. And this is now um, has become the focus of the proposals I'm writing and um, the basically um, the plans I'm, I'm producing for future years that I want what I've learned and all we've done in the lab and the papers we've published to actually come together um, to create solutions for communities and for people to actually use those. Uh, and it's not easy at all no. because yeah. it's, <laughs> you know, too yeah. well. It's very difficult to realize the, the, those impacts, but I'm a little bit now focused on, on trying to do that. Thank you very much, Tanas. That's sick. Thank Excellent. you, Fiona. It was a pleasure. If you would like to find out more about the IOM3 Women in Materials, Minerals and Mining Group, please visit the IOM3 website at www.iom3.org or follow us on LinkedIn by searching IOM3 Women in Materials, Minerals and Mining. Please also don't forget to subscribe to hear more from us through Apple, Google Podcasts or Spotify. information about us visit iom3.org or to keep up to date with our latest news follow us on social media using at iom3 on twitter and at the institute of materials minerals and mining on linkedin if you're interested in our upcoming podcasts or want to get involved please subscribe to hear more from us through apple google podcasts or spotify